How are we doing? All right, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you're with us today to celebrate our, our birthday. Happy birthday, Redeemer. Uh, you're six years old. Welcome to kindergarten. Uh, it's exciting. Uh, probably the most exciting, uh, most eventful part of this past year has been what God has done over the, the last few months in bringing us together uh, with Bloomington Baptist Church. And uh, this, uh, this month also marks uh, the, what would be the 60th birthday of Bloomington Baptist Church. And so uh, 6 and 60, we can celebrate them both and, and celebrate the great legacy of Bloomington Baptist Church and that, that God has sought to, to bring us together to see the gospel go forward and that legacy continue here in this community. We're, we're so grateful uh, to get to be a part of that. Um, we are celebrating a total of four baptisms. You guys get three of the four. You're, l- the, you're the lucky ones uh, today uh, between the two gatherings. Uh, I want to give you an update on the Opportunity Fund. Uh, we have doubled our total from last week. We're up to nearly $36,000 that's come in for that. Uh, we're, we're still a long way to go to the goal, but we are going to be grateful for whatever we receive. We're so thankful for those of you who have given uh, very generously to that. Uh, and we will just do what we can do and go peace by piece as we move forward and, and see what the Lord has for us in that. We're also excited to announce uh, our, our intentions to install uh, Jesse Taylor as a pastor here uh, on September 30th. And so... Um, if, if you have, you have over the next few weeks here the opportunity, if you have any biblical objections to that, to let us know, you can contact Pastor Matt or myself. Uh, but we are looking forward to, although I'll miss saying ECJT, uh, because that's fun to say, I think saying Pastor Jesse will be even better, so excited about that. Uh, this next Sunday, uh, September 16th, we're celebrating our birthday today. Uh, two churches that we are connected to, one that we have sent out a church planner and are, are planting in Terre Haute launches next Sunday uh, on September 16th. We also support another church through our relationship with the Sojourn Network, uh, Trinity Church in Columbia, Missouri, and they are launching next Sunday as well on September 16th. So I, I invite you to just pray with me right now as we kind of pray for our, our, our brothers and sisters there in those churches as they begin that work. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Oh, we thank you just for the, the joy uh, of being a part uh, of your gospel work in, in this place and, and, and throughout the entire world. Uh, through our, our gifts and our giving, we're, we're supporting churches on, uh, on uh, I, th- I believe, four or five continents at this point. And, and Lord, we're, just, we're so thankful to be a part of what you're doing in all those places. We specifically want to lift up Redeemer Terre Haute and, and Trinity Church in Columbia, Missouri as Begin their work uh, next Sunday. Lord, we pray that you bring people, uh, that you would move in, in hearts, that you would draw people to saving faith even on that first Sunday, that you would begin to plant the roots of, of churches that will last uh, for, for decades and bring vibrancy and life and most of all bring the gospel uh, to bear on those cities for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, faith in the, the gospel... The, the good news of Jesus Christ. It, it moves us from, from death to life, right? It brings us from, from death into life. Faith in the, the finished work of Jesus uh, gives us a new identity. We're, we're adopted as, as sons and daughters of God. Uh, the gospel makes us worshipers, as we saw last week, and it also makes us learners. 
learners. That's the second of the five identities we're going to walk through in this Redeemer DNA series. And life in the gospel is not a list of do's and don'ts, right? You're not saved to a list of rules. It's not a path to moral obedience, but rather life in the gospel is an invitation to a better way uh, that is given as a free gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus. If the gospel brings us from death to life, if it moves us into the family of God, then why would we return to living like we're dead orphans after that? The reality is, you know, we don't awaken to new life in Christ and immediately have the entire Bible downloaded into our brains and hearts, uh, able to uh, have this new skill set fully at our disposal to navigate that and apply it in every way that the, that the Lord would have us. Uh, the reality is, is that your flesh still thinks you're dead, right? Your, your flesh still thinks you're dead, and it continues to battle against you, tempting you to act like you're dead. That's the bad news. But the good news is that we have been given in Jesus Christ the best teacher, the master teacher, to show us what resurrection life, the gospel-centered life, to show us what that looks like. By his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus invites us to follow him and learn from him as his disciples. This was God's design from the very beginning. Uh, For God created human beings to know him. And to know him more and more and more. We, we weren't created to worship a God we can't know. Uh, God's desire has always been that his creation would, would know him. And when sin entered the world, it entered the world because Adam and Eve ate from what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. To satisfy their own selfish desires. They sought knowledge apart from God. And, and their knowledge and their learning became corrupted. But God did not give up on his people. He, he constantly reveals himself to them throughout the Old Testament by giving them the law and the prophets and the other writings. He, he fully reveals himself by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Right? We're, we're called to be disciples of Jesus, to follow him, to learn from him, to study who he is, what he's done, and what he's, what he's made us to become. Our learning from Jesus is meant to transform our lives. That's what we see in our text today, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles and let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Hear the Word of the Lord. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us this morning by your spirit to see your desire for us to not simply claim to be Christians and and go through the motions of coming to church, reading our Bibles, saying our prayers. But you call us to be disciples. You call us to learn from your Son, to know Him, to be known by Him, and to increasingly reflect His glory in our lives as, as we follow Him. Lord, would you, would you change us? Would you help us learn and grow even this morning by your grace? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said... 
Amen. You may have a seat. Much like the reality we, we talked about last week, that we are made worshiping, that we, we don't turn worship on and off, we're always worshiping something. The, the other truth is, is that we are, we are always learning from someone. We are always learning from someone or something. Author and philosopher Dallas Willard uh, said it like this. He, he says, he writes, who teaches you? Whose disciple are you? Honestly. One thing is sure, you are somebody's disciple. You learn how to live from somebody else. There are no exceptions to this rule, for human beings are just the kind of creatures that have to learn and keep learning from others how to live. We, ha- we have to learn from others how to live. We're constantly learning from others and applying what we're learning and following someone. Someone, someone is our discipler and we are their disciple. And unfortunately, even in the church, even in this room where, where many of us would obviously claim to be Christians that follow Jesus, the sad reality is seen in many statistics and studies that are done that, that too many of us don't actually learn from Jesus. We're, we're learning from someone else. According to George Barna's research, only 10% of Americans hold a distinctly biblical worldview as of 2017. And even though 46% of, uh, claim, 46% of those polled claim to lead a Christian life, yet only 10% hold a distinctly biblical worldview. According to his research, 7 out of 10 Americans call themselves Christians, yet few of those are able to answer very basic questions about the Bible and the Christian faith. 35% of those surveyed strongly disagreed, strongly disagreed, and another 19% somewhat disagreed with the statement that Christians have a responsibility to evangelize others. So put add those together, that's 54. My calculator told me so. Uh, 54% of self-proclaimed Christians feel they have no responsibility whatsoever to share their faith with others. Sadly, 55% of those surveyed agreed at some level with the statement, good works result in going to heaven. Again and again and again, there's studies like this that show us that self-proclaimed Christians increasingly have very little idea what Christianity even is. Right? We, we see increasing biblical illiteracy. Increasingly, very little of our lives is actually being shaped by Jesus and His Word, but rather being shaped by what culture says or what we feel it should be or what we think is right. So the question remains for you, whose disciple are you, really, right? Who are you really following? You are certainly learning how to live from someone, but just saying that you are a disciple of Jesus doesn't necessarily make you a disciple of Jesus. Again, Dallas Willard gives us some helpful understanding here. He writes, a disciple of Jesus is not necessarily one devoted to doing specifically religious things as that is usually understood I am learning from Jesus how to lead my life, my whole life, my real life. I need to be able to lead my life as if, as he would lead it if he were I. Right? To be a disciple of Jesus is to enter into a relationship w- with him where we learn from him and we become more and more like him. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. We, we don't manufacture this. It's the, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit at work within us. The reality is that any real growth or transformation in our lives is a result of the Holy Spirit's work within us, enabling us to learn from Jesus and to apply that learning and be changed by Him. So the question we're left with is this. How do we learn from Jesus as His disciple? How do you do that? And while there are many factors that God uses in our growth, you know, such as community, community is such a vital part of our growth, or suffering, God teaches us a lot through the suffering that we endure, or prayer, God speaks to us in our prayers and, and aligns our hearts with prayer. God uses a lot of things to grow us. The reality is that no Christian grows apart from regular feeding on God's word. No Christian grows apart from feeding on the Word of God. Everything we need to know about who Jesus is, what He's done, what it means to follow Him, who we are now in light of what He's accomplished, all of that can be found in the Bible. That's the truth we see here in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. God desires for us to know Him, and God reveals Himself to us through His Word. God reveals Himself to us through His Word. The Apostle Paul writes here, All Scripture is breathed out by God. Here's what he's saying. This is not just another book among your many books, your many leather-bound books that you have in your home. Um, the, this, is, this is God's Word. The Bible is God's Word. You hold in your hands the very words of the creator of the universe given to you. His special revelation of himself to you. Author Jerry Bridges writes, The Bible is not merely a book about God. It is a book from God. All scripture is God-breathed, said Paul. The Bible is God's self-revelation to all of us that he... Uh, of, to us of all he wants us to know about himself and his provision for our salvation and our spiritual growth. It is God's only objective, authoritative communication to us. Did you hear that? The Bible is God's only authoritative and objective communication to us. These 66 spirit-inspired books of the Bible divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament are the very words of God. Now in a room like this, there's likely uh, some of you who might say, well, you know, the, the Bible was written by a bunch of different men. Let's, let's be clear. Maybe, I don't know, it's God's word. It was written by a bunch of guys who probably had an agenda that they were trying to advance. So can we really trust it? I mean, some of it might have been even fabricated to advance their cause. Or the Bible was written so long ago, right? It's, it's outdated. I mean, we've moved on. We've advanced from that. Uh, kind of the C.S. Lewis chronological snobbery kind of argument. That because we're here now in, in advanced society, we're so much further beyond those who came before us. But here in 2 Timothy um, 3.16... This is what the Bible says about itself, right? How can we be sure that the Bible is God's word? Well, let's first look at what the Bible says about itself. And, and here it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's God's word. 
It's, it's his word. Similarly, you read in 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And in that verse we see that, yes, there are men who wrote the scriptures, and they wrote with their own personalities, and they wrote in their own context, and they wrote to specific audiences, and yet the scriptures say here that not only were those men speaking out of their own voice, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write as well those words, the very words of God. The very words of God. Again and again, the testimony of the Bible is, is that it is, in fact, the inspired, authoritative Word of God. Beyond what the Bible says about itself, it's also helpful to understand how the books of the Bible were identified, how they came to be together. Because didn't just a bunch of guys just kind of pick out what they wanted to be the scriptures? Well, no, not exactly. Uh, To this, Dr. Uh, Timothy Paul Jones writes, Evangelical scholars have long recognized that the canon, the the books of the Bible, the measuring rod of what is scripture, what is not scripture, that the canon was not created by any human being. The only human role in the making of the canon was recognizing and receiving texts that God had already established. And the question isn't who created the canon. The correct question is how and when did God's people recognize the text that God had already established as authoritative? Right? Jesus himself is the greatest supporter for the Old Testament canon and the authority of that. That it is the Bible. That it is the words of God. Luke 24, verses 44 through 45. Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their hearts, or opened their minds, sorry, to, to understand the scriptures. Right? The law, the prophets, the Psalms. This is the, the traditional three categories of scripture in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament as we have it, right? The law of, of Moses, right? Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, all that, uh, the, the, the prophets, all the prophetic writings, and then the Psalms and the other writings of the Old Testament. Jesus again and again quotes and points to and affirms the Old Testament as God's word. And every book in the New Testament can be traced back to an eyewitness of the risen Christ or to one of their close associates. And, and they, they're in harmony They're in unison. They stand in agreement together of what they proclaim and what they teach and what they tell us. The Bible is God's word. Every word breathed out to us by God himself. God revealing himself to us, speaking to us through it. And God grows us by his word. God grows us by his word. All scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, Paul writes here. So if I decide I want to lose some weight, I'm not going to get very far by sitting on my couch eating a whole package of Oreos. Not that I haven't tried that approach before, <laughs> right? Um, you know, that, not a lot of results are going to follow. I want to lose weight, let's go eat Oreos on the couch watching TV. That's not, that's not going to get me very far. Uh, I have to have some discipline with my eating. I need to eat healthier foods. I need to eat controlled portions of those foods. And, and I need to add exercise into my routine if I expect to, to see results 
and actually drop some LBs, you know. Um, if you want to learn how to play the guitar, simply going out and buying a guitar and bringing it into your house is not going to make you learn how to play the guitar. Owning a guitar doesn't make you a guitar player, right? A, a guitarist. You have to practice again and again and again and again to grow, to know the instrument, to have freedom to play what you want to play on the instrument. The same idea rings true here. You simply cannot grow in the Christian life apart from regular feeding on God's word. You can't do it. You can't do it. Too often, though, we make the mistake of thinking that our, of our learning from Jesus and his word is much like our learning in our educations that we have gone through or maybe you are still going through for those of you who are a little younger in the room. Uh, you know. And so how often do we approach learning in school? How often do we think about learning in school? Well, give me the information that will help me get the grade. Let me learn what I need to know so I can get the grade. Let me do what I need to do to get the right answers, get the grade, keep moving, keep advancing in the class, in the program, whatever it is that I'm working toward. Give me the information I need to move toward my goal. And so often that's our same approach to reading the Bible or attending Sunday school class or or going to a community group. It's more focused on getting the right answers and learning a program than it is on adopting a better way of life. It's very much like cramming for finals, right? We're so focused on making sure we have the right answers regardless of whether they've really been integrated into the reality of who we are and what we do. The result is that you may look a lot like the guy at the gym who who lifts all upper body and no lower body at the end of the day, like real top heavy, right? Big, huge upper body, chicken legs. That's what we're talking about here. You just like feel like you go just tap them and they fall over, um, you know. Instead for us, it's big, huge, theological, infused brains. That, and we're so top-heavy, our bodies can't hold it up. That's not the learning that, that Christ calls us to. Jesus invites us to learn from him in a different kind of way. He says to us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites us to go to a different kind of school. And I love how Daniel Montgomery and Mike Cosper describe this school in their book, Faith Mapping. It's a school where the blood of Jesus has paid our tuition, Jesus is our master teacher, and the Holy Spirit is our tutor. Writing on our hearts to not only help us absorb information, but to absorb the character, strength, and joy of Jesus. It's a school where we learn to be what God made us to be at the dawn of creation. His image bearers living in harmony with him and one another. Jesus becomes our our teacher as we turn from the things of this world. As we lay down our lives and cling to the cross. We cling to his finished work. And we take his yoke upon us. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I I did not grow up on a farm. I'm a city kid. This is the smallest town I've ever lived in in my life, Bloomington, Indiana. Right? So when I hear about a yoke, I'm like, I don't know what we're talking about. Like egg yoke? Uh, Right? So, but I I did some research. And and so, uh, 
a yoke, right? Like thinking about oxen in the field. A double yoke. Two oxen hooked together with this yoke that brings them together. And to be yoked with Jesus means that we are hitched up to Jesus. We're sharing a load with Jesus. But the gospel reminds us that Jesus has already done all of the heavy lifting. That's why he says, my burden is light, my yoke is easy, right? He's done all the heavy lifting. He's lived the life that perfectly obeys God's word and fulfills God's word at every point. He's already done that. And Jesus went to the cross for you and he died the death that you deserve for all of your failures to obey any of his word, any of his commandments, all the ways you failed, he took that upon himself and paid that penalty for you. And he was raised victorious over sin and death and invites you through faith in him to share in that victory, to receive his perfect record, to have his perfect obedience, his perfect fulfillment of the word credited to your account and to be made a disciple of Jesus who is learning from him how to live a life that looks more and more like his. Jesus says to you, essentially, take my yoke upon you and I'll make it easy. And we would, immediately, if you've followed Jesus for very long, you're like, wait a minute, (laughs) right? Uh, Naturally, like, doesn't Jesus demand a lot of us? Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't he call us to do all sorts of things that are very difficult for us to do of our own free will, right, in regards to money or sex or, or service and love? He has a lot of high calling on us, a high demand on us, absolutely. And yet we must always remember that God has a way of providing you with, with, the, with a way to do the hard things that he requires of you. Already in Christ, God has provided you with every act of obedience. Right? Every bit of righteousness that is required of you is now yours through faith in Christ. His righteousness is your righteousness. When, when God looks at you, he sees the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. That's how he sees you right now. Right now. Not someday. Right now if you're a Christian. If you put your hope in Christ. But that's not all. He also fills you with his Holy Spirit to transform you, to empower you, to equip you, to live an increasingly holy life that more and more reflects the life of Christ. The gospel, we say, is the power of God for salvation and and sanctification. But the gospel is the power of God to grow in becoming more like Jesus. Well, the gospel is where the power is, but guess where the gospel is? It's in God's word. It's in the Bible. The word is where the gospel is. The gospel is where the power is. The the word is where God reveals himself to us, where we see our master teacher, Jesus. So how do we feed on it then? Where do we we begin? So many of us are like, I I don't understand what is in these pages. I don't know where to, where do I start reading? Do I start Genesis and work my way through? And then about, you know, a couple chapters into Leviticus, we're, we're falling asleep, and, uh, you know, well, that was, that was tough. I'm, I'm done, right? Well, where do we go? Well, it starts with reading the Word. We, we have to regularly read God's Word. It, it's helpful to read it, not just silently to yourselves, but sometimes it's helpful to read it out loud, to hear it spoken in your presence as you read it out loud yourself, but it, it, it's, it's impossible to grow through the word if, if you don't ever actually read it. 
right? These are not meant to be ornate, you know, decorations for bookshelves and tabletops. It's meant to be used. It's meant to be read. It's meant to be thought upon. And so we need, we, we, we don't want to just simply engage in, in this like checklist kind of Bible reading, but the reality is we still need to regularly read the Word. In a Bible reading plan that has you regularly working through the Old Testament and the New Testament, the whole Bible, it is a great anchor, a great starting point to your, to your time in the Word, right? Uh, again, not, you don't want to just do this to check it off, but you, but you want to, to know the Word, you can find a, a host of options of Bible reading plans online, or you can talk to, to me or one of the pastors here. We, we'd be happy to point you to a number of different options. I'm sure your community group leaders could point you to a number of different Bible reading plan options to choose from. But, but you need that regular time of reading God's Word. This, this kind of Bible reading, like going through the Bible like that, systematically working your way through the Bible, reading some Old Testament, some New Testament, daily, regularly it's kind of like playing scales on a musical instrument right sometimes it's not it doesn't feel very exciting but it is very much foundational it's foundational it helps you learn in a way that's slowly freeing you to to know your way around god's word to know how to use it just as scales repeated over time give give the the musician freedom to really play their instrument But to really grow, we can't simply be content to simply read the Bible. We also have to study the Bible. We have to study the Word. And a simple way to make the shift from Bible reading to Bible study is to get a notebook and a pen and start taking some notes as you read the Bible. That's a very simple way to start with this. But but there's a simple method, uh, uh, oima, observe, interpret, meditate, apply, right? You observe what's in the text. You're asking the questions as you're reading through the Bible. Who, what, when, why, where, what's, what's happening here? Who are the characters? What's happening? And then you interpret. What, it, what does it mean? What does the text mean? You identify the context. We read a little bit before, a little bit after. What's happening here with this specific text of Scripture? Look up the keywords. Use those little cross-references in your Bible. You know those little notes that say, like, the verse number that you're reading, and then it has these other verses that you can go look at? Those aren't there just to, like, fill up more parts of paper and kill more trees. Um, those are there so you can help, un- help you understand what the text is saying by pointing you to other scriptures that will help you interpret this scripture. So use those, read those. And after you write out what you think the, the, the passage is saying to you, check your work with study Bible notes or, or, or a commentary on that book of the Bible. Don't use the study Bible notes, though, before you do the work of trying to study the Word. Don't let the, somebody else... Do the work for you. It's kind of like how birds eat when you do that. Do you know how birds feed their babies? Right? The, the mama chews up all the food and then like regurgitates it into the mouth of the baby. That's kind of like how you do Bible study when you just read the study notes in your study Bible without doing some of the work for yourself first. It's letting somebody else chew your food for you. So think of it like that. It'll help you not do that. <laughs> then meditate. Meditate on the passage. Think on that meaning. Asking questions as you understand what the passage says. What does this teach me about who God is and what he's done? What does this teach me about myself, about who I am and my, my need? What, is it, what, what sorts of things is this passage calling me to believe or to do in response to it? 
How does this passage lead me to worship Jesus more? Ask those kind of questions. Think on those things. Pray on those things. And lastly comes application where you apply what you've learned to your life. Again, what do you need to believe? What do you need to do? Now, believe it. Now, do it. Now, worship Jesus. Respond to it. Apply it. Pray for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to equip you and empower you to do or believe what the Scriptures are calling you to. In the day and time that we live in, I have to be straight with you. We are fools if we think that merely reading a devotional reading of the Scripture is going to enable us to stand firm in Christ. We have to be creatures of the Word who are digging into the Word for ourselves, feeding ourselves with God's truth, applying it to our lives, thinking on it, letting it rest in our hearts. You can also pray the Bible. Right? You, can, you let God's Word inform and shape your prayers. Pray the words of the Scriptures. The Psalms are a great place to do this. Donald Whitney has some great, I think there's a book out, outside the foyer that, that helps you kind of walk through uh, praying the Bible, right? Praying the Psalms back to God and letting that shape your prayer time. There's so many ways we can feed on God's Word. But in all of this, we must not simply, simply seek more information, but rather we are seeking to know Jesus to fellowship with Him, to, to behold His glory and be changed by it. That's, that's the goal here. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The goal is a deeper relationship with Jesus. The goal is a transformed Life, a renewed life in Christ. And yet Paul tells us here that 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 transformation, it comes all from the Lord. It's all God's doing from start to finish. It's the Spirit's work within us. Ultimately, you don't control your growth. You don't control that. It's a gift of grace just like your salvation is. You can't control it. You can't manipulate it or manufacture it. You only seek it from the one who gives it. John Piper says, beholding is a way of becoming. Beholding is a way of becoming. And so we set our gaze on the glory of God revealed to us in his word. And we, we fix our gaze there and we are transformed. We are made complete as the spirit equips us for every good work. We are transformed to increasingly reflect that glory that we behold in ourselves. God, God's desire for you is to know him, to learn from him, to, to, to see what, how he's revealed himself in his word to you. And the question is, are you seizing the gift that he's given to you, that God himself has revealed himself to you in his words that he has given to you? Are you learning from him in a way where you're seeing transformation in your life? Some of you may be fearful you're fearf- fearful to approach Jesus and learn from him. You're, you're fearful that he'll ask too much of you. You're fearful that you won't live up to his call on you. But you need to remember the gospel. Jesus has lived the perfect life that you never could. And he never will. And his obedience is, is now your obedience through faith in Christ. His righteousness is now your righteousness. And he welcomes you to come before him with, with honesty with transparency about your your failures and your successes, 
your sins and your flaws and to let him cover you by his grace. Yes, he demands much of you, but he's already given you everything that you need through his life, death, and resurrection. And he's given you his Holy Spirit to empower you, to equip you, to enable you more and more to do the things that he calls you to do, to be who he calls you to be, if you will but put your hope and trust in Jesus. He invites you to come and learn from him, to gaze upon his glory through his word and be transformed. And my prayer is that you would be more fully, right? You'd know him more fully, you'd love him more deeply, and you would increasingly reflect his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to be in your word together and to celebrate today. We pray that you would increasingly make us to be a people of your word who are who are reading your word, who are studying your word, who are praying your word, who are feeding on your word for ourselves day by day, and then coming together to, to, to feed on your word together, to encourage one another with your word, to build one another up with the truth of your word. And, and we pray by your spirit, Lord, that you would change us, that you wouldn't simply give us more information and knowledge, but you'd change our hearts. You'd mold our lives to increasingly not simply behold your glory, but to reflect your glory in the way that we live. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.